0: MailChimp presents.
1: Ever heard of a customer? You know, it's when marketers group all their customers, regardless of their different behaviors, into one big mess. But with MailChimp, you can use real-time behavior data to personalize emails for every customer, based on their browsing and buying behavior, turning your customers
0: into customers intuit mailchimp the number one email marketing and automations brand based on competitor brands publicly
1: available data on worldwide numbers of customers in 2021 and 2022 availability of features and functionality vary by plan which are subject to change we all have that elder you know like an auntie a friend a parent who drops wisdom on us and changes the course of our lives. This season, I'm talking to 15 incredible people about important moments they went through and how the elders in their lives got them through it. I'm your host, Jenny Yang, and this is Going Through It. This week, Chase Strangio.
0: We don't need to just congratulate people when they graduate something or when they have a baby or when there's this thing that we consider to be pivotal in the linearity of life. What if we just congratulate you every day for just showing up and being?
1: First off, I just want to say congratulations for showing up and being. Like, congratulations for listening to this podcast. Thank you very much. Today, you're going to hear from Chase Strangio. His story is perfect for any of you who struggle with the concept of, you are not a human doing, you are a human being. Workaholics, throw your hands up. Yes, we're out here. You know what I mean? We're out here. Chase is a lawyer who does a lot. He spends his days fighting the good fight as the deputy director for transgender justice at the ACLU. He's a real-life superhero, using the law to protect trans people at the local, state, and national level. And these days, with constant attacks on trans people's rights and livelihoods, it isn't an easy job. Chase strives to keep a positive attitude, dig deep, and stay focused on his mission. He attributes a lot of that drive to Lorena Borjas, a renowned advocate for the queer and trans community in Queens, New York. Chase and Lorena met during his first job out of law school at the Sylvia Rivera Law Project in New York City, and they worked together for more than 10 years. Tragically, last March, in the early days of the pandemic, Lorena died from complications related to COVID-19. Though Lorena's work was Relentless and challenging, she taught Chase to always find ways to celebrate.
0: I moved from the Boston area to New York City to work at SRLP, the Sylvia Rivera Law Project, and work with trans people. So the Sylvia Rivera Law Project is a collective organization based in New York City that works with trans and gender non-conforming people through a racial and economic justice lens with the goal of ensuring people's access to self-determination of gender without discrimination or violence. I got a fellowship to work there and then was hired on as a staff lawyer and my work focused largely on representing people in prisons and jails and other sites of confinement in New York. And so early on in my full-time job there, Lorena started coming in, and she and I would have conversations, and she would tell me how we weren't doing anything for the trans Latina community, and that, you know, we never came to Queens, and we didn't have enough Spanish speakers. Both things very true. And so she and I started talking more and more. What ended up happening is, you know, she saw a small opening, and she was like, I'm in. And then every week, and sometimes a few times a week, she would bring four to six people, usually from Queens, who were seeking asylum, but also who need access to healthcare potentially and who wanted to get a legal name change and get their gender markers updated. And that was sort of how our relationship began. She would walk into the office and scream my name from the elevator. And wait for me to come. (laughs) And that sort of was our little dynamic. This was a time when Obama was president, and he started to really ramp up deportations and really escalate immigration enforcement, and particularly the cooperation between local law enforcement and ICE. And this is something that we've seen since then consistently in a multitude of ways. But it was very heightened in this moment. And in New York City, one of the things that was happening consistently was that In Queens, particularly on Roosevelt Avenue, trans women were being rounded up by NYPD and being profiled as sex workers and then brought into custody and then would be picked up by ICE. And so this was this cycle that was happening. And Lorena and I had just started to develop our relationship. We were both residents of Queens. And this is when we began to show up at court together. Because what would happen is if we got to court... In time and could get the judges to release people before they ever went into DOC custody, then they were never picked up by ICE. And so we could disrupt this really awful cycle. And so we started working together 24 hours a day, you know, we would show up at court in the middle of the night, stay as late as we needed to and start raising money for bail. And that was the work that we ended up doing together for the last decade.
1: It sounds like you and Lorena were together all the time fighting these really brutal practices. Like, tell us
0: more about her. She sounds amazing. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so you know those people that you're like, you are just so quintessentially you? Lorena is just so Lorena. You know, she would wear sort of like flowing pants, and then she always had her hair back and had just these like really radiant, loving eyes. And so much energy. And she will always have, you know, like, beautiful jewelry on. Big just, like queer trans energy, like grandma trans, and always carried like a little rolling bag, like not a suitcase, but like, you know, like a New York City rolling bag that's like metal with canvas around it. And she would have in it like stacks and stacks of papers with people's names and what they needed and what organization she was going to take them to. What Lorena did was essentially run multiple organizations of so many people who had so many different types of support that they needed, ranging from like, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds to like 50, 60, 70 year olds. And she kept charts and lists and tables of everyone and then would bring people in shifts to different service-based organizations in New York. So she was the lifeline for so many people who are likely to end up at the intersection of the criminal and immigration enforcement systems. And she made sure that nobody was picked up off the street and, and forgotten.
1: I mean, the work just sounds so hard, you know, just constant crisis mode. Like, how did she even find room to breathe?
0: Yeah, so I do think that as relentless as the work always was and as hard as Lorena pushed me and other people around her, there was always celebration and there was always moments for nourishment. And that was, to me, one of the greatest lessons, is that if we're going to do this work and this work is going to be in everything we do, then To have joy, we're going to need to incorporate that celebration into everything. It was, I think, one week in, in 2011, totally random, in the summer. And she had come into my office on Thursday and said, you have to come on Friday to Queen's for my group, and on on Fridays she had a group of uh, trans Latina women who would come together, they would maybe have a Know Your Rights training, they would eat dinner, sometimes they would have a raffle, win prizes. So it was really this beautiful space of sort of collective nourishment. And so she was asking me to come, and I was like, oh, do you need me to do a training? And she's like, no, it's a party. And I was like, okay, what is the party? And also you know we we're going back and forth like my Spanish isn't great and her English is better than my Spanish but so we're we're trying mm. and I'm like and, and it <laughs> indicated that the party was for me, but I was like, that can't be right. You know, like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> and, like, most of the time I'm just, like, frenetically trying to get my work done and support her and other folks. And and so then, you know, it's, it's Friday. It's the summer in New York. I'm exhausted. And I'm like, all right, go into Lorena's group. I don't know what's happening. I was very much... Uh, you know wanting to show up with metro cards I remember that bringing a bunch of metro cards because I wanted to make sure everyone could get home so I had like you were you were still you were still working in your brain you're like I'm there, I'm to, there work. to work I'm like I'm sure we're gonna do a know your rights training I got my metro cards and I get there and everyone's like Chase congratulations and I'm like what did I do? Congratulations. And then I'm like so nervous. I'm like, oh God, they think I did something or I won something or like it's my birthday. And, and so everyone's just like so welcoming and jovial. And I come in and they just are like, your cake. And I was like, my cake? What? And Lorena had purchased. I mean, it must have been like a $300 cake. Like it was this, It was like a wedding cake. <laughs> it was maybe like four feet by two and a half feet. This gorgeous tres leches cake that she had got from Brooklyn. Like she had. I don't even know how it was transported. Then <laughs> it said, "Congratulations, Chase." Oh my God! Just a massive cake. And I was like, "What is this?" And I, you know, of course, my instinct is to be like you know, full-on imposter, like, I don't, this is a mistake, I don't deserve this. I'm, like, someone who, like, will bump into a table and apologize to it. And Lorena was like, Chase, this is your celebration. And I was like, but what about you congratulating me for? And she was like, we're congratulating you for being you. And I was like, oh, shit, wow, that's really nice. And we had this whole night where people were just, like, congratulating me and supporting me and holding space for me. And I didn't need any of that. I was just so taken aback by this willingness to cultivate this celebratory space in the midst of what was like a survival space, a space to sort of carve out like systems of support and resources for different people. And here they were pausing to say, you know what, we're going to celebrate and congratulate you with this massive cake and there was tons of food. That was the other thing. It wasn't just the cake. It was a full dinner. There was chicken and rice and beans and tostones. And we're like, we are going to celebrate this Friday. And we stayed and we hung out all night. And I went home with, like, enough tres leches cake to, like, feed <laughs> everyone I knew for, like, a month, uh, which is, was great for me. And that, I think, was such a reminder of, like, if we're going to be in this fight together, if we're going to be taking care of each other in these really exhausting, painful ways, then we are also going to nourish each other and celebrate each other. And that that moment was just so beautiful. This story is so amazing to me,
1: Chase, because like when I was in the labor movement, I spent so much time thinking about like the movement elders who are lifers and they just never seem to have a life outside of work. Like, I was like, how do you stay in this? Are you even happy? Right? And I feel like so much of the burnout in those spaces would be solved if more people were like Lorena. You know, like, let's celebrate just to celebrate. It. It's like this kind of work is so grueling sometimes. And like, for me, I had to draw some hard boundaries. And that meant leaving entirely. So if we still want people to do this work, I feel like we got to fix this shit. <laughs> And also, actually, by the way, I love that it was congratulations instead of thank you. Like saying thank you or practicing gratitude is one thing, but there's just something totally different about congratulations. Yeah, you know?
0: it was like, no, we don't need to just congratulate people when they graduate something or when they have a baby or when there's this thing that we consider to be pivotal in the linearity of life. What if we just congratulate you every day for just showing up and being? And then we see each other in that way where we can celebrate these, you know, smaller moments of just collectivity and mutual care. And that felt very special. And I was, you know, often one of the only trans lawyers that they saw, and that there was something that felt worth celebrating when you have sort of shared experiences of identity that are themselves incredibly divergent, too. And I think there was a celebration of the just possibility of trans people existing in a multitude of ways. And I don't know that that was the explicit purpose of the cake, but I always felt that from Lorena generally.
1: Oh, it's so beautiful. I know that Lorena passed away last year towards the beginning of the pandemic, and I can't imagine how difficult that must have been.
0: Can you tell us
1: a little bit about how she passed?
0: In some ways, my whole experience of the pandemic was shaped by living in Jackson Heights near Elmhurst Hospital, being in the very sort of epicenter of those early weeks and months of the pandemic. And, you know, by the time that I was working from home in mid-March, Lorena was sick with COVID and at first we were texting and she was talking about how she was raising money because she was so worried about what was going to happen to the trans girls in the neighborhood and she was you know from her first admission to the hospital working on a fundraiser for trans latina folks in jackson heights and queens to help support people through the pandemic And that was, you know, mid-March, and she was admitted to Elmhurst, and then she was discharged and thought she was doing better, and then things got worse, and she ended up, at this time, it was like late March, and Elmhurst was completely over capacity in terms of treating people and then she ended up being transferred to uh, Coney Island Hospital so far away from all of the people who are you know her family and she was still texting for a while and then she ended up becoming unconscious and and then dying in Coney Island at the hospital there on March 30th of 2020 of covid and it was so excruciatingly painful and we held a zoom memorial that night and there were like 300 people on and we were, it was in English and Spanish and everyone was like crying and we couldn't touch each other we couldn't comfort each other in any way that we had known in the past and and yet lorena still brought us all together and we still laughed it was it was as beautiful as it was haunting and devastating and i think you know I think about the fact that, you know, she was vulnerable to COVID because she was working out in the streets and doing outreach to people. She was vulnerable health wise because she had faced so much systemic discrimination throughout her life as a trans person, as a as an immigrant, as a. person who did face different experiences of incarceration, of criminalization, of being precariously housed. And then when she was sick, she was afraid to go to the hospital because of how much transphobia people experience and how much xenophobia people experience in the hospital and are are turned away, are not believed, are called the wrong name. And all of those things push people away from the healthcare that they need. And when we think about, especially on times like Trans Day of Remembrance, all of the trans people who are murdered because of individually perpetrated violence, there is also the reality that trans people are murdered by state neglect, by systemic discrimination. And the fact that Lorena was one of the first people to die from complications related to COVID is not an accident. As we know, this is not a virus that is hitting people equally because we have so many health disparities. And her death was a very painful reminder of that.
1: Yeah. Lorena Borjas was only 59. Like, what a loss. How do you honor her memory?
0: So for me, I try to hold Lorena with me with everything I I do. And I would say that in many ways, I didn't know how to come into my own as a lawyer and as an advocate until I met Lorena and that, you know, she was a partner in the work for me. My instinct was to not push or to not demand that we take up a lot of space. You know, what she taught me is we're going nowhere without taking up space. And if the world is trying to make her people so policed and locked away, then she, you know, continually would show up and say, you know, you have to join me in this fight. Cause you're the lawyer. You have to go see these people in jail. You have to go to court and demand this. And so I think that there was no universe in which I was going to go from my little one year out of law school self to the lawyer that I am now without Lorena pushing me to to celebrate more and to take up more space. You know, I'm never going to forget her way of showing up for me to cultivate nourishment and food and joy and congratulations, even when you know we're confronted with so many really relentless attacks on people that we love and care about. And so you know that's that's gonna be the way that I carry her always. Um, is that we're gonna have cake? Even when everything feels like it's going to shit, we're going to we're going to make sure we have, you know, sweaty summer nights in New York with big ass cakes.
1: I love this idea of making time and space, you know, for big ass cakes and, you know, to just celebrate people around you for just being People from marginalized communities are so often forced to justify their existence. And this is especially true for trans folks. Just surviving can be so much work. And think about it. When you've been exhausted or in a dark place, encouragement from a loved one is so important. It makes a huge difference to know you're valued by your people. I'm also just so happy that we got to hear Lorena's story through Chase's eyes, you know? We have lost so many people during this pandemic, and it's really important to honor their legacies. I hope we can all find ways to care for and celebrate each other through this tough time. Like, let's show up for a people like Lorena showed up for hers. We got this. And in the spirit of Lorena, congratulations. Just cuz. Going Through It is an original podcast created in partnership with Mailchimp and Pineapple Street Studios. Executive producers for Going Through It are Ann Berry, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Max Linsky. Our managing producer is Agarenesh Ashagre. This season is produced by the all-star team of Sophia Steiner-Evoy, Emerald O'Brien, and Yinka rickford Angwin, And we're edited by the irreplaceable Aaron Edwards. We're engineered to perfection, or very close to it, by Davey Sumner. Our theme music was produced by Raj Makija. Dawood Anthony also produced original music for this season with additional tunes from Epidemic Sound and Blue Dot Sessions. Legal services for Pineapple Street by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson Des Rochers extra special thanks to Himia Freeman for his support on this production. And of course, the biggest thanks to my own elders for everything and for being the inspiration behind the show. Mom, Dad, Margaret Cho, Tracy Katokiriyama, Keiko Agena, Tim Sams, Gina Lu Gong, Kwan Fung, Michelle Ko, and so many more. And thanks in general to my loud-ass partner Corey Higgs for staying quiet in the house for me.